Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody, and thank you once again for joining me. And my guest today is Jordan Matthews. He is a business trial lawyer and litigator with a broad experience in the entertainment industry and the business community, but he's also an author. I want to thank you for joining me today, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, connecting. Thanks, Marsha. Oh, did somebody pay you to say that? Conversations plus connections equals community. Perfect. Thanks for the lead-in. Okay. (laughs) That was perfect. That's funny. All right. So before we start talking about your book, which I'm really fascinated about, I always like to start my podcast with getting to know. I, I feel like I started to break into song, getting to know you, getting to know all about you. But if you could just just share a little bit about yourself with our listeners so that we can know something about you before we move on to your book. Sure, yeah. So I, I'm, a, you know, I'm an attorney. I do business and entertainment litigation in Los Angeles, California, um, I'm a father. I have two kids. Uh, I have a family, uh, wife, um, which is all that. That's been a very, you know, interesting experience in learning patience and development uh, for myself. <laughs> but I started as a career um, in entertainment finance, so I did that for about a decade. Um, I, I started in the financial crisis and, and raised a couple million dollars in the financial crisis, and you know, financed a a film. That I, I started in and I sold it to a studio, but was ended up in a lot of litigation, and kind of failed forward. Uh, actually, very much so failed forward because when that happened, it was a complete collapse. Uh, but through it, I ended up building a lot of larger businesses and, and put together about six hundred million dollars in wow. financing deals. Um, by the time I was about twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Um, but then ended up getting stuck in a business partnership, and my my partner's divorce, and had to restart and uh, redo everything after I had my my daughter was born. Um, and so that's just a little bit about my background, you know, professionally, and just personally, I'm from uh, more East Coast, Midwest, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, mm-hmm. where my mother still lives. And uh, yeah, so it's a little bit, I guess, about my background. Well, that and so you say you have you have two kids, and you live mm-hmm. you live in the Los Angeles area, um, yep. um, but you're from you're from Pittsburgh. So did you where did you go to college? So it was interesting. I went to college for for two years uh, at Ohio mm-hmm. State University, uh, and mm-hmm. I left my father. Uh, you know, he was a great person, but he was struggling with alcoholism. So when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I ended up really taking care of him for, you know, probably from about 16 until 18, 19, Um, Mm -hmm. and passed away about three weeks after I went to college. So 
the reason why that was really important was obviously a very traumatic experience. We all have, you know, challenging things happen, but mm-hmm. it was a very difficult loss for me. I was very close with him, um, but it also put me in a situation where I was kind of doing like the regular things. Like I was majoring in marketing and I was like, okay, I'm going to get a college degree. I'm going to do this and whatever. And it set me off when that happened. So I left after two years. I moved to New York. Um, I started as a career as an actor, and I went to the Stella Adler Conservatory in New York. Oh, was wow. There and, then, and then moved out to L.A. in, in 2006. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, look, I, I ended up, I had about eight companies. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up going back. You know, I finished my college degree and got a law degree and a master's degree, I, but I did that after having had a career for about 10 years or so. And once I had, you know, a family, once my daughter was born and once my son was on the way. So um, I had to, you know, make that adjustment. So I, I went through it in my own way. Boy, I'll say, you know, I, you might have embedded the word pivot. My goodness, that's, 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 that's very, very interesting. Uh, I appreciate sure. you sharing that. Well, the t- it kind of segues beautifully um, into the title of your book, which I think is very, very compelling. And I can't wait to really delve into this. The name of your book, for those of you listening, is called Failure. When you have nothing, you have everything. When is that, when is that due to be released? Because it's not out yet, correct? It's not out yet. It's going to be out in uh, November of this year, so in a few months. Terrific. Well, you'll all have to look for it. Um, so tell me, Jordan, what led you to actually write this book to start with? So, you know, it's interesting. I started working with a an analyst who's really, you know, a therapist analyst, you know, years ago. It was when I, I was really I, – I, I ended up when I first moved out here um, – in 2006, I ended up getting into a relationship with a with a, a a girl woman, and it was the first time I actually fell somewhat in love. And you know, we broke mm-hmm. up, and I was depressed in a certain way that I hadn't been ever. And so my mother, actually, this is a family friend, she said she strongly pushed me. She's like, "You gotta go talk to this guy," and I, I did. And I was really hitting a lot of walls in terms of my career, um, and. So I went to talk to him, and I had this immediate connection. And there was a lot of things that kind of um, blossomed out of that. But in terms of, uh, I actually just forgot what your question was. But well, um, I, well, you know, let me help you bring you back because it's okay sure. that you lost my question because we're having a conversation. It's fine with me. So you mentioned yeah. that you were seeing a therapist. You really had a great connection. To. And so what I was curious to know, um, what yeah. led you to write this book to start with? Oh, that's right. So, you know, it was a couple things, right? It was, okay. first of all, you know, my what I ended up actually experiencing was insane. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, so it was it was just it was it was it was a mix of my actual experiences were really intense and, 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 and extreme. And then there was also sort of a, a spiritual side of it as well and sort of what it took to get through those things. Um, a lot of it also had to do with, it started with, you know, my father's death when I was 19, which was about 19 years ago. But, mm-hmm. you know, we would talk, I would talk with 
with him. I would talk with Jay, uh, who's the person I was working with, and I still have an incredible relationship with him today. And, you know, he would kind of, not jokingly say, but he, I mean, we would be talking about what would be going on. And an example would be, you know, in, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, in 2008, right before the financial crisis hit, um, I was in the process of, I, I had no idea. I had met a director who wanted to raise money for a film. I had never done it before. I had no idea what to do. I kept getting attached to projects that were never going anywhere, and I got incredibly frustrated. And I was on my couch one day. Uh, I was watching the show Entourage, which was like uh, mm -hmm. a show that most people were obsessed with on HBO back in the day. And I would mm -hmm. actually watch it religiously. And I actually kind of studied it, but what happened was I got off the couch. I got so sick of this, and I just called him, and I said, I'm going to come up with the money. And I had no idea how this was going to happen. So I had a family friend attorney draft an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, that I was going to come up with the money in 90 days, or I was going to defect into a larger or smaller amount of money. It led to me buying a company through this banking relationship that I had sort of found online, which turned out to be a, a huge, you know, not a direction that I needed to go in. But I ended up buying a company in Nevada, getting a DBA here in California. I had set up all of these different accounts and uh, to try to get loans. And I took, an, I took a $50,000 loan and, and started maxing out credit cards and, and doing all this stuff. And it, we were not going to be able to raise the money. And then through some, you know, relationships that we had, I ended up getting involved in an oil deal with the Bolivian oil ministry. And mm -hmm. there was $100,000 that was invested into this deal that was going to be a multi-million dollar, you know, net profit. And this was all while I was negotiating on this project. And I put about 30 grand into lawyers to set up operating agreements and, and set up a company because you have to set up a production company. But I was in the middle of this deal with the Bolivian oil ministry and we were passive investors and literally, and this is all over the wall street journal. It's a, it's a, it's a known thing, but there was a guy who apparently was delivering a briefcase with a half a million dollars to someone in the Bolivian government. Um, and he was shot and killed and oh, there were indictments and the entire deal blew up. And so the people we were working with shifted this deal over to, um, Saudi Arabia to a deal with Saudi Arabia, and it lifted the oil that was going to be sold to ConocoPhillips onto a ship called the Greenpoint. And at that time, you probably recall it was all over, you know, CNN and every other network. There were Somali pirates that were pirating oil. Oil was skyrocketing in price. It was like $160 a barrel. Hmm. So they ended up pirating our ship. Uh, they paid off a ransom. And then once the ship got to the port of Houston where it was going to be sold, Hurricane Ike hit and blew up the entire deal. Wow. And I was sitting there trying to figure out how I was going to finance this thing. I ended up doing, uh, you know, a double mortgage on a real estate property. I margined a bond account to raise all the money. I personally guaranteed everything. I maxed all my credit. It was the first time in history since the Great Depression where we were getting margin calls. Um, so I remember actually being on set and getting notices from the from the bank that we had to come up with like $75,000 in a day, you know, because you have to pay down the, the margin on the account. And so anyway, so there were just so many things that, that was just the very beginning. 
and every day turned into a, a massive, you know, crazy thing. And that was just the very beginning of, of some of the things that I started experiencing. So it was those stories, but really what it was, what it was uh, really about was every day, every single day, I was experiencing incredible amounts of rejection, incredible amounts of pushback, incredible amounts of everything falling apart around me. And I, every, at every single step, I had an opportunity to, to call it quits, to say this is not going to work, to say this is too uncomfortable, to say I'm not going any further. And, of course, anyone has a chance to do that, but I never did. And so much to the point that after three years of putting everything into this project, we ended up having a screening over at Sony, and it was hugely hyped. It had been built and marketed around Twilight, and there was a tremendous amount of hype around our project, and we were selling it internationally because you license it internationally and then you license it domestically. So no one would actually do a deal domestically um, because there were names in it, but there wasn't a major A-list name. So, you know, there were there's a guy named Thomas and Nicholas from American Pie, uh, Mackenzie Rossman from Seventh Heaven. There was different people that were on it, but there wasn't an A-list name. It was really the project that people were buying, and so they needed to see the final cut of the project. And long story short, um, we sold it internationally to some, some territories, and then when we had the screening over at Sony, I saw it after putting three-plus years of my entire life into this whole thing, and I started it. My my face was on posters. We were in the marquee. All this other stuff was going on, and it totally bombed. Oh. And we had that, you know, we're going to go from like, you know, 150 grand on a territory to 10 or nothing, you know, and you have multiple different territories you're selling off. And I had to go raise more money. I went and raised mm. more money to do a theatrical four-wall release in New York and L.A. to leverage a deal and sell it to Lionsgate, okay? Mm. And then uh, the first release of the movie was May 30th or May 31st of 2010, and on IMDb, they used to have these message boards where, um, you know, people would comment. And I remember seeing this thing about an R5. And I had no idea. I mean, this is after I thought I was going to lose everything. And no one would pick up the phone. And, and I ended up mm. forming another business partnership and, and getting much, much, much bigger. But in the middle of that, there's this comment about R5 that I see on IMDb. I have no idea what this is. I contact my, my business partner. And an hour later, I start getting these absolutely frantic calls. Cease and desist letters are going out everywhere. And what oh, happened boy. was is that our sales agent had done a deal with a Russian distributor. And at that time, you know, usually they have what are called holdback clauses. So you can't release the movie until six months after the first release of the picture or something like that or whatever. Because of the hype on the movie, I don't know what it was. We delivered the movie, and seven weeks before the release, Someone took it, ripped it, put it on the internet, and pirated it all over the world. Oh my goodness! Right, and wow. ended up in, you know, extensive litigation. You know, I ended up, you know, settling after after only a year because it just made sense. And at that point, I was putting together uh, a fifty million dollar deal to do, you know, larger studio films or, or more larger, actually independent movies at that point. And then it, it developed into these larger slate financing deals um, after that. Um, and there was mm -hmm. so much more that happened in connection with that. So 
it was a lot of these failing forwards. I mean, I remember when that situation happened where it bombed. I, I, I literally lost my way getting home. I had, I could not remember how to get home. Wow. I had been hit in the, I mean, and it was a real visceral feeling. I had put mm-hmm. everything. I was on the verge of bankruptcy. I was on the verge of losing absolutely everything. I've moved out of houses before. I've turned in cars before. I had maxed out credit. I had pushed everything to the max. And my, my whole way of living was that no matter what, I was okay with being incredibly uncomfortable and that I actually lived every single day wanting to push myself to do something that was incredibly uncomfortable and to push against any limitations in any way, shape, or form. And my belief was that if I was willing to go further than anyone else was, you know, and it, not in a reckless way, but right. you know, that's why I was working with this person because he was watching me do this, um, you know, that by the time I was 27 years old, I was sitting in, in, in rooms with, you know, major executives at public companies, uh, putting together hundreds of millions of dollars in deals on, on every, basically almost every large movie that was coming out of Hollywood that was coming through my company. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I ended up in a huge partnership divorce and got stuck in my, my business partner's divorce and had my own family and a whole bunch of stuff that happened with that. But there was just so many times, and even to this day, I mean, so many times when I, you know you get faced with something that is feels insurmountable, and yeah. I even thought about it this morning. It was the feeling of having no fear of needing nothing, of not needing anyone's approval, of not needing anything, not not being attached to anything, um, is is I think how you get there. It's how I got to those mm-hmm. places, and it. That I achieved anything, what it really meant was, and I think what a lot of this book was, or has been, is that it is the unshakable persistence in pursuit of something, number one. And number two, it's also the, the, the sort of revelation or, or reality that, that success, however you want to define that, which I define as really a, a meaningful process, is filled with an unbelievable amount of failure and an unbelievable amount of pain and discomfort. If you are fulfilled with purpose and you're doing something that's purposeful, you don't really see it. You actually, I I saw it more confirmation of what I was doing. You know, it's interesting as you're describing this saga, which sounds like a movie in itself, um, it almost sounds, a word came to my mind that you haven't used but I, I, I hear that as you're describing this, and it almost sounds like a sense of freedom. That, that's kind of what I'm getting from this. And so I, sure. I, I think it's really important to understand definitions when I'm speaking to my guests because maybe how you define failure might be different from somebody else. And I'd like to grab that definition of failure, and we will grab that also, that definition of success. But if you could just briefly define what, how would you define the word failure? So, I mean, the best way I can explain it is just by example. I, I can't, I, it, it, when I'm talking about failure, I am not talking about loss. Like, I'm not talking about losing. I mean, that is a part of it. But what I'm talking about is pushing to a point of failure in order to grow. And that's how you achieve pushing through things and achieving success, which is really just a process. So what I mean is, like, I remember, you know, everyone can, I think enough people can 
recall, um, you know, Schwarzenegger when he he was going for his seventh uh, Mr. Olympia. It was either his book mm-hmm. or his documentary. I, re- I don't recall where I heard this or saw this, but I recall him talking about that when he would go in and work out, right, or specifically when he would squat, he would put so much weight on, would more, more than anyone else, right, um, mm-hmm. that he would literally pass out. Physically, oh. he would just pass out. His body would pass out. He pushed himself to the point where he passed out. And then when he woke up, that's how he grew. He, he pushed his body into a place where it had to grow, and it only grew from that pressure. I was actually watching something, uh, I think it was last night. I saw it was like a, you know, it was like a Kobe Bryant interview, and it was, oh, um, Jay, I think it was uh, Jason Williams or whatever. He, I, think, I think that's who it was, who was a really well-known player at Duke. And he was talking about this time when he went to go play the Lakers when Kobe was there. And he talked about, he's like, you know, we had a game time at 7. I think, this was J- I think it was Jason Williams that said this. For Yeah, I could be wrong. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to work my – I'm going to work incredibly hard. I'm going to show up early. So I'm going to get there at 3 o'clock. I'm going to do a full workout. I'm going to hit five, uh, 400 jump shots. I'm going to make them, you know, before, before game time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, as he went out there – Kobe was out there too, and you know Williams finished his workout after an hour and a half, tripping sweat, totally exhausted. And as he went to go sit down, he saw that Kobe was still still playing, and he was just hard at it. Just it wasn't just like you know lackadaisical. He was just pushing and pushing and pushing. And he watched him, and he did like another I don't know twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, something like that. He just sat there and watched him. And he and he said in the interview that you know Kobe dropped you know, 40 points on him that night. And he went over to him afterwards and he said, what, um, you know, I got to ask you, like, what, you know, mm-hmm. I, why are you working that hard? You know, what, what is it that's driving you and pushing you? You know, what made you go out there? And he said, I guess in response to him, he said, well, because I saw you go out there. And so I wanted you to know that no matter mm-hmm. what you do, I'm going to work mm-hmm. harder. I'm willing to push harder than you. And that's actually been, you know, I, I guess a lot of the way I've thought, you know, there could be someone more more talented than me, smarter than me, have XYZ over me. But what I've been fully confident in is knowing is that I will outwork anyone and push anyone to the max. And I and I will be absolutely relentless in how I push something. So, you know, that's I don't know if that's a definition of failure, but that's an example of how I just look at things from that perspective. Do you, are you relentless with yourself as well? Well, abs- well, absolutely. That's the whole point. I'm not being relentless against anybody else. I don't need okay, to be. Okay, this is internal. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 100% me, meaning, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I mean that I'm competing with myself. If someone steps you know, across from me and they want to compete with me. I, I want to respect them and where they're going to come from. I want to learn from I them. See. I want to study. Mm-hmm. But for myself, I, I would wake up any day and push no matter what. And it's not pushing from a perspective of, um, you know, people tell me, slow down, you know, uh, you know, care, be careful, you know, all this stuff. And I've heard that my entire life. And it's like my, I think mm-hmm. my mother is the only who kind of mm-hmm. understands it. Mm-hmm. It's just not not who I am. Um, 
and and I'm happy. I'm very happy. I mean, I have my moments of frustration, but I'm sure. I'm, so it sounds like you, uh, you know, you're a young man. It sounds like in your late twenties, you were already incredibly successful, um, and you have had your experience with failure. But what about your experiences with success? How would how would you? Because everybody can define that differently, Jordan. How would you define the word success? Well, first of all, I think I've had far more failures than success. Really? I think the success, absolutely. I, I think I've had, it is more of just an unbelievable pounding and push against you know, anything that I've done um, that has been my experience. But I've never thought that that means that I'm doing something wrong I was trained, for lack of a better term, to think that, to know that that was just an example of I was going in the right direction. That the the harder I pushed and the bigger I was shooting for something, the more opposition I would get. Um, in terms of success, I mean, look, I mean, this is nothing new, but I, I certainly find this true to myself. You you might get. I've had some things happen where you you know have these these moments that that do line up. You know, and things just kind of click, and just mm-hmm. just some magic. But it's it's not magic. It's just I mean, sometimes things align a certain way, but usually just I mean, the amount of beating that I've taken to get there is is something. It's a feeling that that I don't know that most people would necessarily want to feel. But but truly, the success is it is the pursuit. It is the process. I, I know. There has never been a place that I've ever gotten. You might have a fleeting moment of, you know, you have a great celebration of something, but mm-hmm. it is, I've heard to a place and been like, wow, this is it. Like, I'm done. You know, it's just, it, yeah, I mean, there are moments when you can appreciate, you can look at the beach, you know, you can look at the mountains or you can get some fresh air and really appreciate and take it in. Right. But, but it's the process. It is just it is it is the process and having that thing to pursue, and and trying to figure out how you're going to make that thing happen, uh, and and adapting when that thing changes. Oh boy, you're not kidding. I mean, you know, you're talking to somebody. You you used a buzzword right there for me just then when you used the yeah. word adapting. Um, yeah. I know that you know a little bit about my personal life, and. Yep. I certainly didn't know in the blink of an eye my husband was going to die. And yep. and you know and he he lived by that is what it is mentality and and that went along with the word adapting. And now that I must say that that's very much an engineer's logic anyway that they're they're scientific and they're I don't want to paint that every engineer is identical, but they share some commonalities and, mm-hmm. and logic and thinking and maybe not quite as much emotion. Um, that's not to say he didn't have his own failures along the way, but he adapted to anything that happened to him where I was more like, oh, God, really? But certainly I found myself in a place, I, I don't say that his death was a failure, but it certainly wasn't anything that was anticipated, and I had to adapt. 
And I could have jumped into a hole and just buried myself and stayed there until somebody found me, but I didn't. Yep. And, and you know, yep. I, I, I find that what's been so rewarding for me, Jordan, and what I'm doing, because I know you find rewards in what you're doing, is that people have different journeys. We're not all on the same path. We don't all have the same desires, and we don't even um, define success. You you might pull ten people into a room and just say, "Okay, you have two minutes. What does success mean to you?" And several of them could just look at you and go, "Oh, oh, I don't know. I need some time to think about that." And so it's it's very it's very interesting. Those terms are are, are interesting, but you've had experience with failure. And um, what I and you've had experience with success, and what I'd like to know is perhaps you could just spend some time talking about in both of those circumstances, in that failure, in that success. What are some of the things that you've learned in that pursuit that you talked about in both of those areas? Well, I mean, you brought up a couple things that I actually would love to touch on as well, and I'll, I'll do Please. that in a minute. Um, actually, I'll do that right now for just a second because I think. Please go right ahead. One of one of the things that you know you asked me about, like sort of the definition of success. One of the things that I think is crucial, and look, I remember there was a time when I was when I was young. I was doing this at a very young age. I started, I mean, relatively, but I started when I was like twenty. And so when I was about like 22, 23, and I started actually doing this, like raising millions of dollars and all that stuff, and I kept trying to be, I was told not to talk about certain things, not to, you know, be open about what I was doing, because people wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't accept it. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly oppressive. I understood why it happened and, and perceptions and all this crap, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I got to a place where, if you want to talk about the definition of success, one of the most important things was coming to a place of just authenticity. Because when you're authentic and when you just are who you are, it just is what it is. And I embraced – that was another thing. It was embracing the failure. It was embracing it because when I I became very comfortable talking about it, I, I actually began to wear it like it was a mark or a badge of honor as opposed mm-hmm. to something I wanted to stay away from. You know, a lot of people, I think, don't want to talk about these things because they, oh, someone's going to think I failed or I'm a failure or whatever that sort of label is. I was like, I was, this is great. This, is, this shows my experience of anything. It shows I have some wisdom here. I've gained something, and I can be open with another person and say this is just where I'm in. This is where I've experienced things. And, it, and other people, I, you know, everyone's got stuff, period. So – you know sure. when you're when you're when you when you open up about it you, other people just reciprocate like if you want someone to trust you you have to show that you can trust them and you have to be open and all that stuff um so that's one thing um so i think being open and honest and and, and authentic to yourself is is crucial cuz unless otherwise you're going to end up following everyone else and it's the blind leading the blind you really need to know mm-hmm. where where the hell you're at um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I did a lot of self work in that, from that perspective. The other thing was, you know, I was watching a video actually this morning I try not to mm. watch too much stuff, but I, 
the the sort of takeaway was like a motivational thing. It was very similar to this type of thinking, um, which I'd been very much so taught, you know, when I was younger through my mother, uh, especially. But it said, you know, you got you know got to take action and pull the trigger. Um, you know, for you know, obviously that's a terminology, but mm-hmm. you know, in terms of success and in terms of failure, the one thing I've learned is is you have to be willing to take action. You have to be willing to do things that other people are not willing to do. Um, and you can analyze things. You can you can think through things. But at the end of the day, what that is going to lead to, it's going to lead you to making an educated decision. And you should make an educated decision. I, I don't believe that you should be reckless. Although, quite frankly, I think, unfortunately, when you're younger, you know, sometimes you may have to be what may what may end up being somewhat reckless in order to learn um but you certainly have to be willing to take action and if you're not willing to push up against the line you're always going to have a mediocre result you will not have you cannot expect to have a, an extraordinary result if you are not willing to to go past where anyone else is willing to go and and I have found that some of the most dynamically successful people that I have come across, and I've, I've dealt with, you know, people that, you know, it, it, it really does not, you know, get any, any bigger from a perception of, I mean, these are all people that are tremendously successful and known for mm-hmm. what they've done. But the mentality is, is that the conversations are actually very easy. We have a very similar mentality. Um, and so it's easy to connect. There's no gatekeeper I'm talking to. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you willing to go out there and willing to pursue and trailblaze and and take risks uh, when other people are not willing to do that. And, you know, I'm not here to please anybody. I'm not here to make other people happy. I'm here to, you know, fulfill, you know, what makes sense to me and obviously be responsible and take care of my family. But, you know, I, I think so. So anyways, so I think it's, authenticity. I think it's being willing to to not only you have to take action and it's also being willing to do things that other people are not willing to do. I don't mean talking about it. I mean doing it, which is very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Which is that those action items. I would love to spend some time in your head and 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 <laughs> see how how you see how you operate and think because I you I don't have your book yet because it's not out. Did you write this book in a way that gives we just use the word action do you write do you write action items that can is it a go to how to kind of a book or is it how how is the book structured so i mean it's very it, there's a big memoir aspect to it it really goes through the entire story but i I have different you know people who are i know who who are very successful in their own right who have contributions to it and and it really starts with i mean it's very raw it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's very brutally open um and there's a takeaway i think at, at i mean there is a takeaway you know at every chapter but the sure. way it's written is i mean you have to sort of see how it works but it starts with a very pivotal crushing failure or or pain point and it leads through just one massive you know, catastrophe after another, and it ends with, you know, a a very unique 
you know, um, sort of game-changing uh, success. You could you could call it what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Really about kind of it, there's a poetic element to it because it's 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 crafted in that way. Um, but mm-hmm. I also, you know, in terms of like labeling this. Yeah, there are takeaways, but I think really what the, the purpose and the way that it's written is it's just supposed to communicate through authenticity. It's supposed to say it, it really is about giving permission almost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a, you know, anyone who reads it, I want them to say, you know, I feel like there's just such a an illusion that people have about what they think success is, and they I feel like it, it's unfortunately largely about who they're surrounded with. You know, if you have yeah. certain people around you and they are all, they have no idea where they're going and you're following the people who have no idea where they're going, well, mm-hmm. guess where you're going to end up? Nowhere. You know, I, I right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's very true. Um, I, I yeah. like the way you describe, um, the sort of the structure of this book. How long did it take you to write it? How much time um, did so you spend in writing this? Yeah, it's still being finalized. Um, so there's still but a I mean, little bit of revision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's still a little bit of revisions that are going on, but it actually wasn't, to get like the the meat of it down, wasn't mm-hmm. long. I mean, I mean, it took a couple months to really finish oh i don't think that's long okay yeah wasn't wasn't that bad but a a lot of it was really more i mean i probably could have written it if i just dedicated my time 100 percent to it in a couple weeks um it largely was sitting down and just like i just i wrote it was already in me i'm just writing Mm -hmm. with the experience they know it so you know obviously i'm I'm putting some analysis and I'm, i'm kind of moving it around to to uh to to explain a certain message but the information's already there so it didn't take too long and it was very in my soul so did you did you just pound it out in the computer did you take written notes for yourself and think oh this is these are talking points did what was your writing process like um it mostly was just writing out on the computer you know i i, mm-hmm. I started with a uh, uh, an inspiration story uh, mm-hmm. that I was asked to, to put together. Um, and it was, you know, it, it started with, it was about my father and it was about a very extreme experience I had with him. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, but a, an amazing, amazing experience I had with him, um, mm-hmm. which was, I'll, I'll explain it. There's there's one step I, I won't fully get into it's in the book because I just think it's a little bit too much right now. But but when okay. he, I would take him, and I was in high school and I, I would take him to to detox. He was in and out of jail. I would pick him up and take him to NA meetings. I would sit in front of him while he would detox. And a couple months before I left for college, <clears throat> excuse me, he had a conversation with me where he was sitting there drinking. He was you know he he was just drinking. He would just kind of mellow out, pass out, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, he said, um, I think he could see that I was going off track. Yeah, I've been the valedictorian earlier in my life, and he could see that I was going in a not great direction, and I I was 
not going in a great direction at that time because of a lot of stuff that I was dealing with with him. I was getting a lot of life experience. Um, and he said to me, uh, what do you want to do? And, you know, it was it had nothing to do with, like, any judgment or, or you know, you know, what are you going to do with your life? It was nothing like that. It was just, I think he was just inquiring. He knew I was going to Ohio State at the time, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with school. It's a good school. But if you had asked anyone a couple years earlier, they would have said, you know, he's probably going to go to Harvard or, or some school, which, thank God, I didn't. I would have been miserable. Um, so I think he saw that I was kind of going in a direction that maybe was a little unanticipated, but I think he also knew I would figure it out. Hmm. And then he had a conversation with me a couple weeks later, and he, he said to me, you know, when you go to college, your life is going to change. And, you know, you're going to have relationships, friendships. And what he was trying to say was I was going to have a new life and I was going to move on. And I'm very He loyal. could see that for you. He could see that for you. He, Did you believe him? That's the, well, that's, that is the thing. That's what this all comes down to. I looked at him mm-hmm. and I said, no. I said, you're my father. I said, and everyone had basically deserted him other than, you know, myself, his, uh, my, my mother, and his older sister who was living in New York at the time. But I was the only one who was really there in Pittsburgh taking care of him day to day. And <clears throat> so I said, no. I said, I will call you every day. I will come home every weekend. You know, he was my father. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave you. And so I remember leaving. I remember the day I left. I remember saying goodbye to him and I remember looking on the word goodbye. I just absolutely cracked. I couldn't get, I actually could not say the word. And um, I left eventually and mm-hmm. college that day. And that was like maybe September, somewhere between September 22nd, 23rd of 2003. And I, you know, I, I think I, I called him every day. You know, sometimes he wouldn't pick up. I, you know, I, I try to get a hold of him, and on October 9th, 2003, um, I get a call in my dorm room, and it's my mother, and uh, my sweet mate picks up, and he would not give me the phone, and mm. I become so at that point because I was just so consumed with so much pain that I had no idea what to do, how to what to do with it, and I took the phone. I said, "Just give me the phone." And my mother, I heard, I said, I just, you know, I, I knew it was my mother on the line, and I just said, is he gone? Very cold, very, very deadpan, mm-hmm. and she said yes, and she was, you know, she was crying, and I said, just come pick me up. And mm-hmm. so, pretty short is, I went home and buried him. Very crushing weekend. Came back to school. I was miserable. I was depressed. I was lost. I, had, I, I gained, like, 35 pounds in six weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was ready to leave. And so the bottom line is I, it took me two years to leave and go to New York. I was there for a year between 2021 and moved out to LA. And as I was going through all of the things that I was going through, what I was talking about initially on that first project, I started going into yoga class at Equinox and Mm -hmm. I was doing like this, these vinyasa yoga classes. I ended up getting mm-hmm. into kundalini and I started getting into really deep meditation. But I do this yoga class and at the very end I'm laying there and, you know, I'm laying there and 
you know, what they call Shavasana, you, you know that. Right, and, I do. And they're playing this sort of gong meditation, and my, my you know, I've told the story many times, but my eyes were closed, and it was very dark. And I remember in this very surreal way, I started to just, you know, like when your eyes are closed and you're starting to go to sleep, you, you start to mm-hmm. have this visualization sometimes that you can just see things. And I started seeing these very tiny little white dots. And hmm. I was seeing them. It, it literally started to feel like I was looking at a night sky, like in space. And these little dots yeah. were like stars. Stars? Yes. That's what it looked like, and it. But it, the most bizarre, weird thing occurred, you know. And I'm very logical, and and very, you know, scientific and and whatever. But I, it started to form the outline of my father's face. Wow. And I felt this really weird, unusual sense of things, and I just felt like beyond myself and I totally just cracked and I just broke down into tears and it was a very therapeutic experience this was like five years mm-hmm. after he passed and about a couple weeks later I have the exact same experience and really yes it is very similar I mean different but similar and I, I break down into tears and I don't remember if it was exactly walking out of that room or whatever, but I remember going back to those two conversations. And he said to me, what do you want to do? And he said to me, your life is going to change. And I said, no. And then he passed away. And it, I had this epiphany at that moment, which was that he let go in order to let me live my life because he knew I would not let go. Wow. And at that moment, I lo- that's when I truly lost fear of anything. That's when I became absolutely lethal in any step that I would take because when you have that level of love and 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 a true level of, of power, knowing what you can face and what's behind you, um, you know, it, 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 nothing could shake me, nothing. Well, that's that's very powerful, you know. I, I'm, I've got, this could be a two-hour show because I feel like I have a lot of questions I haven't asked you. Um, could you, I don't, I don't think, you know what, I guess what I'm thinking is how do you stay so focused? How, do you, how does Jordan stay so focused? I, I know what I want. And I... I you know, there's so many distractions mm. all the time, but I I know what I want, and I know that no matter what, I know that whatever I I focus. Well, let me explain it this way. Part of it is I know what I want from a from a training and mentality perspective. The other thing is it's actually I mean this is a much you know a layered conversation, but it's partially genetic, and not necessarily in a good way. And what I mean by that is I understood that my father had I read this book after he passed away called The Craving Brain and it, it it made me understand what he was dealing with the way the explanation really was you know look if you take food for someone and and you don't feed them 
you know, eventually they, they start to have a physical reaction and they start to go through a withdrawal. And, and if you are not giving the body or the mind what it needs, and for, for someone who's suffering from alcoholism or some addiction, that's how it becomes, that's how it, what it turns into. Mm-hmm. But I understood that that was a genetic thing. And my grandfather, his father, had a very similar thing, but he was very driven and focused. He was a psychiatrist, very successful psychiatrist. And my mother is a very successful entrepreneur, and she's a workaholic. And so I'm not necessarily saying that that's a good thing or not, but what I I Mm -hmm. knew a lot of situations in my family is I realized that there was something in me that was just absolutely obsessive. Now, if it's not done the right way, it becomes obsessive-compulsive. It becomes something that is not healthy for you. Right. If you, if you really work on yourself you mm-hmm. know, and you really go through those steps, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it, it was just, you know, and, and you can look at anyone. You can look at anyone who becomes really great at what they do. It is a, it is a mathematical thing. It is willing to put in the time. And so... Part of it is a genetic thing of, you know, it could, it could go, it could, you know, it's the fire that can cook you food can also burn you. <laughs> um, so that's a part of it. And then it's just the fact that I, I, you know, I, I try to have a morning routine if I can. I try to really set myself for the day, um, but I know what I want. That's, you know, there's a lot of people that walk around that have no idea what they want, regardless if they're your age or my age, which is very interesting. So, and sort of putting that in perspective, so you've got this book. It's uh, it's coming out in November. Is that what I understood you to say? Yep. Yeah. Ho- hopefully. Okay. Um, what do you What do you want people to gain from reading your story? So that's that's exactly you know a huge part of it. When I say what do I want, it's not like I'm looking for some sort of you know monetary achievement. Right, in my life. I didn't I mean, sense the, that. Yes. Yeah. It it really is. I think the if you can reach someone and if you can impact them, not not on a like oh I did something and I impacted, but if you can communicate and open someone else to some level of freedom in themselves where they can you know, extrapolate something from that story and, and gives them permission to, to take whatever steps they need to do to fulfill what they're supposed to be doing, that's, that is what, like, that's the gold, right? Mm-hmm. That is the meaning and that's, like, that's the purpose. Uh, there's nothing that can encapsulate or, 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 or explain the value of that. That is pure value right there on a much more interpersonal on a much deeper on a much more self you know self gratifying and satisfying way so it's it's really just about hopefully you know uh being able to connect with others through authenticity and and mm-hmm. seeing hopefully someone else even if it's just one person mm-hmm. you know achieve their own potential or push in that direction because of something that they've taken from your own story well, you know, and the other thing, Jordan, is that let's put this part of this perspective in this conversation, and that is you've taken your story and you've put it to print. That itself I see as a victory. That I see 
as something that is successful. People sometimes will say to me, you know, Marcia, you should write a book. It's like, really? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't feel a book in there inside me somewhere. But, you know, people have said that to me. But sure. when you take your life experiences and then you chew it up and you mm-hmm. digest it and then you think about it and then you think, well, what will be gained by this? Is this is this something that anybody needs to read or did I just really do this for myself and maybe my family and my children down the road, my mom? You know, sure. you know, it, it, it has so many layers. And you you are a complex man. You you've done things in your twenties that some people don't do even in their forties and fifties. So you were obviously very driven by what you wanted to do in life. You got that from mm-hmm. somewhere, you know, whether whomever. Maybe you'll never know precisely who you got that from, but it's, mm-hmm. it's internal. It's within you. Yep. And I, I really admire you for being able to do something like that and still do your your job. I mean, you have a very demanding professional job. I mean, I know you've worked on major lawsuits. I, I don't know if you're working on anything right now that that maybe you would or wouldn't want to talk about, which is okay if you don't, because it sounds to me like, based on mm-hmm. what we've been talking about, you've come full circle. You were over here as this young boy, then you were this teenager that were put in an interesting position of being the being the dad to your dad, because in many ways yeah. that's what you were. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. might not have thought of yourself that way, but and your mom might not have thought it. Maybe nobody thought of you that way. But as I'm listening to you, I'm feeling that parental side about you that you were mm-hmm. giving lovingly to your father, whether there whether there was. Um, you know, anxiety or anger or judgment. You mentioned yoga. We both we both love yoga, and one of the things we always hear in yoga is without judgment, so that we and and I work at that. I'm going to be honest with you, Jason. I I, I work at not and I called you Jason. Your name is Jordan. Good way way to go. I will you know, but come on now. Um, yeah. I. I work at that. I work at trying not to be that judge and jury over me. But it's not easy, is it? It it, it takes um, concerted effort to to remain non-judgmental, at least for me. Does it for you? That's a very that's a whole other layer of conversation. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we all. I think you try to, but I also think that there are. There are very specific traits that require you to be judgmental. So I think when you're trying not to be judgmental, I think it's a good thing to go for. But I think it's almost like the idea that people who have a very active mind, you know, are trying to shut it off. So they use drugs mm-hmm. or alcohol to shut it off. Um, and the reality is, is you can't shut it off. You have to accept the fact that it's going to continue to have a dialogue with you and you have to mm-hmm. be able to sort of place yourself from it so you know it's yeah not being judgmental is is always i think something to strive for but i also think that there's a primal element that we all judge things it's a survival mechanism as well but it's yeah that's interesting (laughs) 
Yeah. That that's that's an interesting perspective. So in these last few minutes that we have together, so we know you're a dad and a husband. We know that you're an attorney. We know you've written a book. I don't do you do you think you're going to write another book after the one you're just completing? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Really? Okay, yep. that's cool. Um so how do, you mentioned something about a morning routine. I know I also have a morning routine, and maybe a lot of people have a morning routine. But mm-hmm. does that help you sort of stay in balance in your in your internal side so that you can be as productive as you are? Does that does that help you to have that morning kind of routine? Yes, but I, I will tell you, I, it's it's certainly a work in progress because my my life is so chaotic in terms of the demands that are put on me, and I constantly am striving to figure out how to balance that. But, you know, every day is an emergency for stuff that I have to deal with, um, Mm -hmm. and it's incredibly demanding. Um, So I've tried to get better and more disciplined at, Mm -hmm. you know, not looking at my phone or not looking at emails or not doing certain things to start the day. and, and, you know, I did a workout this morning, and I, try, you know, if I can, I try to meditate a little bit in the morning. Uh, if I can, uh, I've been doing these, you know, things. I've been doing cold plunges. I don't do that every morning, but I try to do that like uh-huh. at least Ooh. once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it helps because it, it's a good place to start, and, and when you're grounded, it's a base for your day. But I, I'll be very frank in saying I, I know some people who – seem to have a much better, you know, angle on doing that in a disciplined space. And I, I, I'm not doing it every morning. Uh, mm-hmm. I, tr- I try to if I can. I think it's a great way to start, and I notice the difference. Mm-hmm. But I also, if I can't do it that way, I will do things throughout the day to try to center me. Even if I have to step away and just do some deep breathing for a little bit, I'll do that. Right. Right. It's, it's funny. I tell people these shoulders are not supposed to be earrings. You know, bring it down a notch. You know, we yeah. both know that, that that's important. And self-care is very important because, you know what, your kids are watching you too, just like you watched yeah. your dad. And it's not like, oh, my God, now I've got all, thanks for reminding me, now i got that pressure on me as well. But you already know <laughs> that because you were a kid and you watched yep. your dad and you watched your mom. And I watched my parents. And you know we take we take things away from those experiences, the positives, the negatives. We use what we can use to to put um, structure in our lives. Uh, I I work best under structure for me. Um, I ask a lot of questions. I I'm not one to assume that if you've told me something, that I understood it. I'm more likely mm-hmm. going to say, let me let me tell you what I think you said. I, you'll hear me, you'll, people will hear me say that a lot, and then when I re, re, repeat what I understood, it's like, well, you got that just about right, but this is the part you missed. Well, a lot of people yeah. don't ask clarifying questions. I appreciate how annoying that can be. I, I understand that. I can sometimes read that on somebody's face. But if you're telling me something that you want me to really process and understand, and I say, oh, yeah, that's fine, okay. And then I go, and it's like, what did you miss here? Because clearly you didn't understand what I was saying. So I, I respect and appreciate the ability for people to allow me 
to to understand what it is you're saying so that I do understand it because now I've just told you what I understood you to say and it's like you've got that. That is exactly what yeah. I was saying. That's exactly what I meant. Whether it's financial, what, whatever that might be. You know, I operate this business, this hobby is my, my CPA closet, by myself. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's like, oh, my God, there's all this technical stuff. And it's like, really? Oh, God, somebody else do this. There's a lot to <laughs> this. But yeah. it doesn't make me want to give up. Yeah. I may find somebody yep. else to figure out what I don't understand, but sure. I'm not going to stop because I think this is a calling for me, just like you have a calling for yourself. I think the conversations have always been an integral part of my life. I'm my curiosity about people. If I saw you wearing an Ohio State shirt and we were standing in the market, you know what I would mm-hmm. say to you? Oh, the what? Ohio State? Right. <laughs> that's what I would say because I know that's how yep. it's said. You know, and there's a yep. guy that went to Ohio State that lives around the corner from me. I, I, yep. I'm interested in so many subjects, and if it's sports-related, I'm really into it. So I have yep. a rich life, and honestly, it sounds like you do as well, and I think it's very important what you're doing. And I I think what's going to be very interesting, because how old, do you mind me saying how, do you mind saying how old your kids are? Uh, yeah, nine and seven. Okay, so imagine when this nine-year-old is 16 mm-hmm. and reads this book, or maybe at 14, and goes, God, yeah. Dad, I had no idea. I mean, really, there's something to be said for that. And I have a lot of respect for you putting that, I mean, for me, this is oral history, what I do, Mm -hmm. but putting something in writing is is significant, and I commend you for all of the the things that you have tackled in your life and, and, and how you say when you have nothing, you have everything. That's That's powerful, and I just want to thank you so much for spending this hour with me and and take, taking us through your story because it's it's quite a story jordan and i i'm very grateful that you've spent this time with me today i appreciate it yeah likewise it's been um it's been very full so i appreciate the time you're welcome and i know that i'm going to let you get on to your afternoon um i think what i'm going to do this afternoon is take a walk and maybe think about some of the things that you and I have discussed today because I think it was really, really important. And I, as I once again, I'm saying thank you to you and to everyone that listens every week to these podcasts because I think you know, if you've been following me at any time, you know that like Jordan is authentic, I am as well. So I will let you get on with your day. Thank you, everybody. Be safe. Be well. And I'll be back again next week. Bye for now, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you.